have a problem every year around MLK Day because the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun. Good evening. Um, my name is Sharon Henson. I am your host and the um, producer of On Another Level. And as you know, when we bring you to another level, we just have these fantastic heroes and sheroes that we present. We're live. We may take some phone calls. I don't know. The conversation may roll so nicely and so smoothly and so intensely, but we should include you. So don't go anywhere. My special guest is here again, Ms. Queen Judith Foster. She is the hero and shero of the Hero Nurturing Center. She's the founder. We're going to be talking about all things Frederick Douglass and the recent workshops that she had, the series, and what she's up to now, the Nurturing Center. Don't go anywhere. Stay here with us so we can bring you to another level on another level. Famed author Frederick Douglass worked tirelessly as an abolitionist and an advocate for equal rights. You can't talk about the history of civil rights in this country without talking about Frederick Douglass. Long before Dr. King, the civil rights movement, here's a man who was talking about basic dignity for people in this country. Born into slavery in Talbot County, Maryland around 1818, Frederick Douglass became educated first through his master's wife and eventually on his own. Douglas escaped slavery in 1838 by fleeing to New York and became a preacher the following year. Certainly, during Douglas's time, literacy for Africans was absolutely forbidden. In fact, it was very clear that once Africans could read and write, many wrote their own passes, which allowed them to move from place to place, and obviously this was disruptive to a very repressive system. After his anti-slavery lectures caught the attention of William Lloyd Garrison, the editor of the abolitionist paper, The Liberator, Douglas began touring the United States as a speaker with the American Anti-Slavery Society. Many whites refused to believe that Frederick Douglass had ever been a slave because he was so obviously intelligent, he was such a powerful speaker. In 1845, Douglass wrote and published his first autobiography entitled Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. Although the book was a U.S. bestseller, Douglas was forced to live in Europe for two years to evade recapture. He ultimately purchased his freedom in 1847. People were shocked about Frederick Douglass, an ex-slave, writing his autobiography, and it was so poignant, and it was such a bird's-eye view of what was going on on the plantation. He put it in very plain language, and it was just a powerful testimony of why slavery needed to end in our country. Douglas became the only African-American to attend the first women's rights convention in 1848. And by 1861, Douglas was famous nationwide, advising both President Lincoln and Johnson on the welfare of African-Americans. By any measure, Frederick Douglass was a real American hero. He was a public intellectual, he was a statesman, he was an activist, and his life and his political commitment were dedicated to human rights not just to civil rights or to the end of slavery. During his lifetime, Douglas was U.S. ambassador to the Dominican Republic. And in 1872, he became the first African-American to appear on a presidential ballot when he was nominated as vice president. Frederick Douglass died on February 20th, 1895 from natural causes. Healing, empathy, redemption, oasis. That's the community we're talking about. And the Hero Nurturing Center is talking about using nature, not just as walking through it and hugging trees, that's involved in it too, but also hugging yourself and hugging each other as part of healing. In this world where, especially Western civilization, where it's so easy to pop a pill, or to cut this or to burn that, a chemical, chemically ingest this or that. You have to look at some of the things that we did, indigenous people did, to heal and to be better. Um, 
My guest, Judith Foster, is all about that. And she doesn't mind being a person, a hero, a shiro, who wants to bring the community together and using nature. So welcome, Judith Foster. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. I got it right. Absolutely. So the nature piece, you've had nature walks. We're going to talk about um, Frederick Douglass and the piece that you did. Because before, when you were on here, we were talking about uh, publicizing it before it happened, but now yes. it's happened. And you also still have the Cuba delegation going on too, right? Yes. So tell me about what happened at the Frederick Douglass um, workshops, because it was over two months, the spans of two yes, months? Yes, yes. It was amazing. We sliced it up into uh, three, three, and three. And we're going to see some of the photographs about when you're talking. Yes. Yeah, so the first three parts, we called it uh, the physical Frederick Douglass, talking about all of the physical attributes that mm -hmm. made him uh, seem and was talked about and rev revered as resilient, right? Mm -hmm. And then we talked about the emotional Frederick Douglass. Mm -hmm. And then we brought the last three was the spiritual Frederick Douglass and how that plays a part in your resilience building as well. And he's one of the ancestors. So, Absolutely. You know, energy, this is even scientific, energy created is never destroyed. It's Can always never. in some form. Absolutely. Form or another. And then there's also um, a Native American saying that as long as you mention their name, they never die. Absolutely. And so you're mentioning his name. You've been mentioning his name. You and I talked on the phone for about an hour. Oh, yes. You're like, Frederick Douglass this and Frederick Douglass that. I was like, Lord, Lord. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, 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 we need his spirit now more than ever. Oh, I know. That's right. So how we talked about, for those people that didn't see the first program, um, tell us how Frederick Douglass has impacted you to the point of where you had a whole workshop and you brought people in, and you're still talking about him. You have the book. You gave out the books. Oh, yes. What is it, and I say is because he's still here, mm -hmm. about Frederick Douglass that makes him still relevant and still important to people, not just black people, but people? People in general, yes, because he transcended, whether it be economics, um, heritage, uh, where normally people look at where you come from, you know, to judge you or to stigmatize mm -hmm. you or place you in a box. Well, they couldn't do that with Frederick Douglass. Tall, black, handsome man. Yeah, just took his freedom. He wasn't given it. He took it. Came right here in Massachusetts. And he was uh, influenced by William Lloyd Garrison. And again, this is where the Garrison from the hood so to speak, comes from, mm -hmm. although some people may not know the, the, school when, the yeah. correlation, but that's where the, the garrison um, terminology, and that's who influenced his going on a speaking engagement and was paid to be a public speaker as well. And so that really intrigued me to say, well, how did that start? And when I read about um, the narrative mm -hmm. and how he, at 12 years old, devised a plan to teach, to get learning from his fellow Caucasian children how to finish his, his reading Because he originally studies. was a companion. Yes, yes. And so Y'all didn't know they used to use us as live toys. Like you go get Barbie toys now, we were, you know. Or, or the dog or the cat. Well, I think they treated the dog better. Well, but yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> the dog, the do yeah, they treated the dog better. But the... The other thing that's fascinating that a lot of people probably didn't know is he had his opportunity to be free in Paris, but he had to come back. Yes. And so, again, his, uh, he married a woman in Ireland. That was the second wife. Yes. The first wife was a black woman. That he had all his kids by. That he had all his children this, by. We're going to tell the story. Tell it right and now. And most of them were born right here uh, in Massachusetts, and I believe New Bedford. And, um, yeah, so... Uh, and also, it relates to why I even, again, wanted to have this discussion about him. He's native to Massachusetts, and we hardly talk about the um, intelligence factor. There's a whole district in Roxbury named after Frederick Douglass that, again, if you ask a middle school student yeah, well. or a high school student here, there's... Little well, not to just no here, across the country. Yes, and I think we ought to change that. And so, yeah, we love Martin, and I'm not comparing, <laughs> but Frederick Douglass, you know, he's the trailblazer for me. He's the epitome of resilience building. He kept redefining himself. He was also fighting for black women, suffragists, oh, he who was were the being first, ignored by the white women. He was the, the first women. black man 
black person to attend the women, the first women's conference in Seneca Falls, uh, New York. That was discriminating against black women. Yes. By the white women. Yes. So y'all talking about Susan B. Anthony? You better read up on yeah, that. Yeah, we shape. weren't included in in, in, no. in that 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 conversation when on it purpose. first started. On absolutely, purpose. absolutely. And so Frederick Douglass was a pioneer and a trailblazer in lots of things. Um, I did a Did You Know during the course of the series where I pointed out several facts about Frederick Douglass that um, connected Hero and why I wanted to do this connection and uh, do the series. So he was a musician, and we talked about how music plays a part in our healing journey, what kind of music we listen to, the octave in which we listen to the music, how that affects you on a cellular level, That's right. and how it can aid your healing or hamper that healing. And the different, I mean, so there was a, a young lady who I had um, on this show a couple of months ago that actually demonstrated the sound bowls. Yes. And it was interesting, just the reverberation and the, the tones and the levels of the vibrations were affecting the microphones in here. Mm -hmm. So I've been to a, a, a couple of different ones, um, different sound bowls, different sizes of bowls, different atmosphere. And for someone, for some of you guys that have never done it, um, it's not demonic my Christian friends, but, and you can feel the different vibrations yes, in your body. Absolutely. And so there's different sounds and different tones that you do to relax mm -hmm. or to heal mm -hmm. or to, and so there's different techniques yes. depending on who's doing it. Yes. And, um, and I don't know who's doing it now. And different instruments you can use as well. It's instruments. Well, I mean, if anybody who's a musician, you... You know the different levels. Yes. I mean, there's different issues. Music is so powerful. Absolutely. You know, you have drums. Yes. That get people moving, and drums that go to war. Yes. You have drums that dance. Uh huh. And then, so you get different levels, different sizes. And we've always been. You know, I say we. I'm talking about people, but you know, black people, um, that have always been connected to the earth, connected to sound, connected to vibration. Yes. No matter where we were, whether we were on the ships. We're on the plantation. I mean, we created whole genres of music. Absolutely, because we use music as a meditative tool along with dancing, yes. And so while other cultures may sit to meditate, the African culture and indigenous culture, we dance to meditate. You notice that the Native Americans, they dance to get in a trance to, to meditate, to be one with Mother I'm Nature. I'm cracking up laughing, because every time you talk like that, all of a sudden you get the, you get the accent, you know. Yes. <laughs> Because I love my culture, eh? and although I've been here for a long time, I want everyone to know that I am a Jamaican woman. And that's and ain't nothing wrong with that, sis. Yes. I'm loving you for that. Yes. But the other thing, too, is that when you go to um, cultures, society, peoples that are connected to their roots and connected to the earth, mm -hmm. um, you see the difference. And because so many, especially in Western culture, we live in these... Um, containers. Yes. We call them homes or condos yes. or apartments or mm -hmm. whatever. But they shut off. They protect us, but they also shut off yes. um, us from nature, and from the wind. And connecting with each other. That's true, too. Yeah. What is the difference between... Now, were you always like that, or, or did you realize that this is something you definitely needed? And then what do you do? Like, do you open the windows? Do you I was make sure always, that you... I was reminded that I, I was always like this, even as a child. And so growing up in Jamaica, I would just wander for hours in the, the you all call them woods, but that was, the just, jungle. that was just our property, you know, mm -hmm. banana trees, pineapples, pear trees, apple trees. It was, you know, cane fields and things like that. So it was just normal, you know, way of life, just walking around bare feet for us. And so coming here, this is why it was a stark difference for me, mm -hmm. not having see you know walk around there no fruit trees right well there's some but well, not i don't know what year you got here but i remember i got here in 1975 oh, no, I was they still cut a young down girl. a lot of them yes and when i grew up in in roxbury dorchester mattapan um south end um there was a lot more green space yes and you literally could walk down the street and see flowers and smell flowers the air smelled different you could pick rhubarb you could pick berries wow i mean you had space and I remember as a kid, my brothers and I, there was a place, now I'm, I'm going to date myself now, y'all. There was a place called the Quarries, and it was in between Brunswick and Columbia Road, 
and Intervale, and I think it was Devon, Devon and Stanwick. Mm -hmm. All of that was green area. Wow. And we would go out there and swing on the trees and jump off the thing like fools. But I remember, you know, we would go in there and that was our woods. Franklin Park had all these animals, you know, lions and tigers and bears, elephants and the whole thing. So you could walk up the street. Yes. And see animals. But there was so much more green space that's been taken over. As a matter of fact, I've had sort of an invasion of nine turkeys because we're developing so much of the land, we're yes. pushing them out. Yes. So people are talking about coyotes on American Legion Highway. Because we're stealing their habitat. We're pushing them out. Yes. Right? From, um, from below ground and above ground. Mm -hmm. And then they're sort of freaking out and they're looking for... Now, those turkeys were like three feet tall. Yeah, they're huge. Right? And yes. so then you got the geese, too, that were going down Columbus Avenue attacking the cars. Like, they were supposed to be there. Oh, yeah. That's pretty ballsy. I mean, yes. when you think about it, like, you... This is a car. Yeah. You are an animal mm -hmm. and a smaller one. Like, how angry do you have to be to be pecking at somebody's tires? Well, imagine if someone came to your home, right, paved it all over and just took, a, took it over, and you had no space, no grubs no, But they no have. That's what they're eat. doing in the black community. Yes. They're knocking down the trees. Mm -hmm. And then there's a certain science to having older trees, because there was a group of citizens, residents, community, Bostonians, that went down to Melnia Cass. And yes. we're trying to save the older trees because yes. there's a different thing that happens ecologically Absolutely. with older season Ab trees. It, it takes at least 30 or more years to get the benefits that the older trees provide that a sapling cannot, young tree or a baby tree, even a five-year-old tree, cannot provide the cleaning um, properties and the air quality that we desperately need in this city. You don't have oxygen, you no, can't live. Exactly. So when people say to me, oh, you know, the environment, hug tree, hug a thing, well, without clean air, none of us We're dead. will be here, right? And so we already know that the bees, right, we're, are dying out. I think they're like seven species that are gone. I have bees. And, and, you know, and so anybody who, not to cut you off, but no, no. for people that have yards, mm -hmm that have trees, protect them. Yes. Because um, for those of us who have land, there's always developers, you know, we buy houses, we buy up. your house. Oh yes, cash. And then I know that they want the property and land that I have to knock down my house and put two triple deckers in parking. There's enough space for that. Yes. But I know the difference between me being out in my backyard, the air, the oh. shade, the temperature. And you know, I complain about the turkeys, I sort of have a, a circle of life in my yard, right? So a few summers ago, there were so many bugs. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, let me, you know, natural, let me, let me invite the birds to eat the bugs. Yeah. But then from the birds came the cats and the skunks <laughs> and the snakes. And then the other birds for the birds. Mm -hmm. And then you got the raccoons and the whole thing. So and then the turkeys come. Back there. Oh my God. <laughs> it just freaks me out a little bit because those, those turkeys are kind of big. Yeah. And they're not scared and of you. They get aggressive. They're they a little gangster, you know. And so I, I saw them jumping over, and they fly, because I forgot the turkeys can fly. Oh, yeah. So I have my yard cut off, and I'm looking out the back kitchen window, and all of a sudden I'm seeing them jump from my neighbor's yard into my yard, and I'm like, oh, oh, wait a minute. And I only saw three. Mm -hmm. But then when I came out of my door, there were five more that came around, and another one that came up, and I was like, I, I was outnumbered in my own yard. So I was like, wait, wait, wait. And then um, this year, more than any other year, I guess, Bunnies are like taking over. Yes. So I found this rabbits in my yard too. And that's a good thing. Well, but see, you know, yeah, but when you when you have a raised garden, you're trying to eat the food that you plant. You're not trying to fight with nature. This is true. So plant something else that will take their eye off of the. I thought about that. <laughs> they don't care, and I and I try to do it organically. Yeah. Cayenne pepper and the whole thing. Oh yes. Yeah no. You have to whenever it rains, you got. You got it replenishing, there. yes. And then you plant certain plants, and then the other plants are supposed to repel that. Yes. You know, it gets a little complicated it when does. you're trying to have a job and you're trying to make some money. You're like, <laughs> that's can a whole I just come out job. here and get a tomato? Yes. Can I get a tomato? You can have one, I can have one. Um, they just ate all the kale, they ate the Swiss chard, they ate the broccoli. I figured it must be good. You guys ate that's it. That's right. And then the food project and uh, um, the farm that's up there in Norfolk Street. So there are places where you can get organic stuff mm -hmm. as opposed to what you think is organic yes. that was engineered by, well, I'm not going to mention them, it begins with an M. Yes. They're not paying me. That are actually trying to... And they were banned in several countries, by the way. Because they're genetically modifying the food. Mm -hmm. 
and they're not allowing the farmers to use this. When you get a watermelon that doesn't have any seeds. That's a problem. Everything is supposed to have a seed. Everything Absolutely. is supposed to have a seed. If you're eating it, you shouldn't be eating it. That's just a PSA, a public service announcement for those of y'all that think you're eating healthy. And then they have stuff that they coat the fruits with. Yes, to force ripe them. It's called force riping. Mm -hmm. And then, so you think you're eating healthy. You're not. The most, the, the, the time that I choose to eat the most fruits are when I either, I'm either, either in Florida and I know people who have farms or I go to Jamaica and I know that the farmer just picked them off the tree. And it tastes different. Yes. It tastes different. It smells Fully different. Fully ripened. You can actually on taste the vine. it. Yes. As opposed to. Yeah. Yeah. It was right? picked like six months ago and sprayed with some stuff to keep Frozen. it from rotting for the travel from God knows where it's coming from. So, yeah. Yeah. So for those people who, who and, and I was telling you earlier and telling some people here in the studio that this weekend was the Boston Vegetarian Food Festival, mm -hmm. Saturday and Sunday. And it's, it's annual, it's every year. And it was at the Reggie Lewis Center. And I was surprised there weren't more black people there. It was free to get in. Mm -hmm. And it, I don't know what it's been like previous years, especially during COVID, it, it didn't happen all the time. Right. But it seemed like it got a little bit more commercial. Yes. Um, and, but, but to see the range of foods that you can have because you are what you eat. Right. So you want more food in your food, but the more food you have, the more expensive it is, and it doesn't have the shelf life, so it feels like you're always shopping. And to know what it is for your body, the things that you need in your body, like if you have an iron deficiency, there's certain things you know, that, that you need, and if you want to be a vegetarian or a vegan, which is a totally different vibe. I did that for a year. I thought I was going to have to get a job at a food co-op. I couldn't afford it. But there's certain things like spinach and kale and, mm -hmm. you know, so you're eating um, foods that are coming from the ground and certain nutrients that they get from the ground that are now in your body that's going to help you heal. Absolutely. Right? Think better, um, reason better. So again, all of the um, cognitive abilities that you have are enhanced by the nutrients that are in your food or not in your food, right? And so when we see that our children aren't paying attention or we're mm. not paying attention, you know, think about the things that you're eating. Or allergies. Yes. A lot of it goes to all that stuff they spray on your food to ripen it, to make it grow faster, and to make all of the oranges, apples, tomatoes, whatever, look exactly alike. No two fruit on a tree looks the same. I know that's right. When you start growing your own, right, and you could just walk, walk out onto your porch or your backyard and you're mm -hmm. picking it. Yes and you wash the dirt off, or not, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then you eat it, you automatically know the difference. Yes. And there's also something that happens when you're teaching your children. Mm -hmm. Where does this come from? Where do your food come from? How long does it take to grow it? Mm -hmm. In the fact that you know that you can grow your own food. Yes. And I think more, we used to do that. We used to be a very agrarian society. The majority of people lived down south, Midwest, you know, places where we grew it and yep. we were close to the ground to mm -hmm. it. What happens when you disassociate yourself from, from, what, what, from what is life-giving? Well, the Green Party, and, and I credit Jill Stein with this, because again, she's a doctor and lots of um, physicists and biologists and chemists that I worked with on the Green Party. They explained a little bit of it to me and said that if you're, you're, you're not feeding, uh, say for instance, the cow's grass like we used to, it changes the metabolic physiology of the animal and so when we're eating it whether it be the grass the kale the cauliflower it all changes your physiology once you're eating whatever it is you're eating you become right so when it says grass-fed when you go into the supermarket mm -hmm. grass-fed or um, is the best what's the other thing there's another thing where cruelty free yes what does that mean? Well, it, it means that your animal wasn't abused in the process of it becoming and your food. And stuff that get into yes, it. and so that, that also matters. So when I was younger, my mom would buy kosher products, mm -hmm. kosher meats, kosher whatever it is that she was buying. And I had to say to her, well, why do you buy what's kosher? And then it translates to how the animal, the food, the thing was prepared for your ingesting because it matters. Yeah. Because if you're, you're killing it cruelly, then those... It affects your body. It, it's it, going into the meat that no you're eating. It's no longer become medicine to your body. It's toxic to your body now. Mm. I, you know, 
They tell you you should never ask a black woman how old she is, and I'm not going to do that to her. Don't please but, don't. <laughs> but I have to tell you, I was at my aunt's um, 90th birthday party mm -hmm. two weekends ago, and out of the 17 of my mother's, um, my mother had 16 brothers and sisters. Out of the 17, wow. there were four left. Wow. 94, 90, 88, and 87. Looking at them, you would never know it. Mm -hmm. I have a life. Yes. And they have so much life and vibrancy. Yes. And they came up in a time where there was no such thing as recycled. You just used everything, period. There was no such thing as organic because everything was organic. You know, it didn't have plastic on it. You talked to the butcher. You talked to the baker. They could tell you. And the milkman. And the milkman. Yeah, fresh, fresh milk. You knew where it came from. It wasn't sitting somewhere before it got to you, right? We didn't buy water. The fish market, you knew how right. old the bread. Right. Your water wasn't sitting in a plastic bottle before it came to you. That also is leaching different yes. things. So now that you can look it up, folks, plastic is, they can find minute particles of plastic in each of our bloodstreams, right? So Is that the forever chemicals and stuff yes, that you're also finding? Yes, absolutely. And so no matter how much kale you want to eat or organic, if the air that we're breathing is laden with pollutants, mm. then, you know, no amount of, you know, spring water will help you. So we've got to, and I say this, you know, with a smile, but it's really sad affair that, you know, in this day and age of technology and all of the learned people that we have in the United States, we haven't figured out how to get the toxins out of our water system and, you know, just clean up our air. Yeah. When you look at um, some, some places that you go to now are not giving you plastic, they give you paper yes. bags, right? And then some places you go, um, we, were, we were in Vermont or something, in McDonald's, they're not paying me, so I didn't say the whole word. <laughs> and it's paper straws now. Um, so you see people going back to what we had Slowly. in the first place. Slowly. Slowly. Mm -hmm. But it still is not removing all the plastic that's already in the water. Nope. And there are turtles, there are animals that that plastic is mimicking something that they eat, and it's choking them, it's killing them. Well, um, doctors are even, you know, doing studies to find out if some of the birth defects, things that are blamed on autism, where is it coming from, mm -hmm. right? What's causing all of these things? Cancer. Absolutely. And it has to be the, the air. The, absolutely. Absol the studies show. So what do we do about it? I mean, we can sit here and talk about it. Well, one of the, the biggest things that we can do right away is plant more trees. It seems mm. simple, but planting trees right away, which, again, lots of organizations are doing it. I work with Speak, Speak for, for the Trees, trees. David Mishalom. I got two, two free trees from them. Yes, and they're free doing trees. a free you tree don't have giveaway to pay them. Soon. Free trees. Again, I forget what date it is. But, yeah, and this is why we talk about Frederick Douglass. If you'll get his narrative, folks... Yeah, you'll hear where he talks about food, the foods that they fed the enslaved back then, the foods that he ate, how that made him feel. He talked about the clothing. And the way that they fed our Absolutely. children in pig troughs. Yes, all of that plays a part in your psyche, mm. your spiritual, your emotional, and your physical well-being. And this is, again, why it talked about Frederick Douglass and resilience because he just had to keep reinventing himself, keep encouraging himself, and surround himself with like-minded people. Mm. Yeah? The other thing, too, is, is amazing is if you ever look, and we talked about this in the last show, the photos and the images of Frederick Douglass, he refused to be photographed or image drove him smiling. Absolutely. There was nothing happy or good about what black people and what he had mm -hmm. gone through. Nope. And he also dictated what angle they were going to take him from yes. and how he dressed. Absolutely. Controlling his image. He controlled everything. And even in the narrative, this is where I found the, I had not been introduced to this thing prior to my doing the series. Mm. And so when I read it from cover to cover and then had an opportunity to lecture and digest it even more throughout the series, I just fell in love with this man. So now more. the workshops, you talked about the progression and the different segments that you talked mm -hmm. about. Um, what happens now? Because now you've lit these people on fire. And 
So are they following through and they're doing their own workshops? Are you taking it to another level? Where are you going? So this was in conjunction with uh, Mass Humanities gave us a, a small grant to mm -hmm. enable us to do this. And what I wanted to also do was bring attention to the Frederick Douglass Historic District. Mm -hmm. And we ended it at the Frederick Douglass Peace Park in Roxbury, where I'm like, everyone needs to know where this is, because if Nataka... Um, That's my girl. Yes, Nataka Walker... Creighton. Had, Creighton <laughs> had not said, you know, I'll meet you at the edge of the road to direct me through the path to find it. I would never had been able to find it. And so I just want more people to know about Frederick Douglass. If they don't have someone in their life that is resilient or have never heard that term before, look no further than this man's life mm. to find strength, to find encouragement, to find hope, to find faith, to find, you know, that thing that keeps you going when the world seems against you. Like now. Absolutely. Yes. So, um, wow. <laughs> I don't know about you, but um, I can't wait for the second half of this program. If you just tuned in, this is on, the, on another level. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. My guest, the amazing, amazing Judith Foster, who is the founder of the Hero Nurturing Project. Center. Center. Project. And project. Cent yes. It's Absolutely. A, it, it's a center. But they've got projects. And she just finished talking about the Frederick Douglass program that she had. When we come back, she's going to talk about this exciting, amazing journey, adventure in Cuba. Don't go anywhere. Frederick Douglass. Stay right here. The first thing to understand about Douglass is that he spent 20 years as a slave both on the eastern shore of Maryland and in Baltimore. He suffered or experienced virtually all the physical and psychological traumas and scarring that slavery could wreck upon a human being. He also had the good fortune of being sent by his owner, Thomas Auld, to Baltimore, to a city, to an urban area where he not only found work in the docks, although dangerous work, but he was able to expand his literacy and expand his worldview and see the sailing ships and make friendships in the streets of Baltimore, not only with young white boys, but with older black preachers and eventually with the free black community of Baltimore. But Douglas left slavery with a rage in his heart, a scarring in his soul that he needed to vent and expend uh, throughout, frankly, most of the rest of his life. And he was very lucky, I would argue, that he was able to do this through language. He didn't have to do it through physical violence. Because he became such a master of words, he was able to expend that rage in his soul, in his speaking, and in his writing. Millions of Americans saw their country, their story, through the ancient biblical story, but Douglas made the most of it. And he delivered few speeches that didn't have direct lines or paraphrases from especially Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. So only through those kinds of biblical stories could Douglas tell the story of his own people. Douglas's entire family went to war. He recruited two of his sons, Lewis and Charles, into the famous 54th Massachusetts Regiment. His third son, Frederick Jr., uh, enlisted to be a recruiter of black troops in the lower Mississippi Valley. And his whole family, in effect, was at war by 1863, whatever the outcome might be. Uh, and for Douglas, this war was what he had dreamed of, and its results also were what he had dreamed of. And we're back here on another level with my good friend, Queen Judith Foster of the Hero Nurturing Center. You know, I got to give you props. Um, so we talked about Frederick Douglass. Let's talk about Cuba. Yes, let's talk about Cuba. And so Cuba. So the Cuban, so it says, those who support healing 
and hold trauma will exchange with Cuban organizers, healers, and nature lovers. We will share strategies for environmental justice, community organizing, and nursing. As peacemakers, we'll explore how capitalism, imperialism, and environmental racism challenge work for justice across the Americas, Americas and focus on the effects of the U.S. blockade as the primary obstacle to peace. There's a friend of mine, um, Professor Tony Vandermeer, that, that brings delegations yes. to Cuba every year. And even when it wasn't necessarily legal to do that, he was still finding a way to, to, to go in and go out. And um, I wanted to go with him this year, but the dates didn't line up. Mm -hmm. He went to Guantanamo, and I forget the other, I think he went to Havana and Guantanamo. And then he just recently sent me um, a videotape with Asada Shakur, and they're doing some fundraising yes. there, because she's there, yes. and she's the number one on the um, FBI's wanted list, yes. most wanted list for the United mm -hmm. States, which is ridiculous, but. Bizarre, to say the least. But it is what it is. And yeah. this is the same country, the land of the free, home of the brave, that still has, um, Momia Abu Jamal and Leonard Pelletier, yep. who are political prisoners. Yes. They really didn't commit. I mean, the government says they committed stuff, but they really didn't. And so those three, who are people of color, mm -hmm. um, are outlaws from the United States government. Yes. So going to Cuba, and you've gone before, what is the difference? I mean, we see gangster movies like The Godfather, and they were in Cuba during the, you know. But right now. Right now. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that when apartheid was happening in South Africa, Cuba sent its own troops yes. to fight for liberation in the Africa. The only ones. The only ones. In Africa. The only ones. And then um, it's still a, a quote-unquote communist government. Yes. But it's a different kind of communism. There's right. communism in Russia. There's communism in China, communism in yes. Cuba. Cuba's the closest physically to the Americas. And then the Cuban Missile Crisis. I'm trying to teach you all some history. I'm a history teacher. And look it up, look that up too. <laughs> what is the difference between, what happens when you go from here to there and you interact with the people from uh, there and they're teaching you based on who they are mm -hmm. and they, they haven't been contaminated. That's the word oh, that comes to yes. contaminated from the politics yes. of this country. It's a beautiful exchange. It's, it's the most beautiful thing. And I, I'm from Jamaica where, you know, we hug everybody and, you know, no problem, man, you know. I go there, and each time I've been there, I'm still amazed at the capacity for love, mm. acceptance, community, engagement with, again, they are so educated. Everyone is educated there. And so history, they know our history more than we do. And that was the philosophy that he wanted you know, Fidel Castro, yes. who America hated, yes. and the Kennedys tried to kill mm -hmm. a couple of times. Yes, several. With exploding cigars or poison cigars or some of, crazy oh stuff. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And when you go on, if you should come to the next delegation, you will go to the Annunciation, Denunciation Museum. Please forgive me, Cuban delegates, about that. Uh, and when they're te they'll tell you all the plots that they've tried against his uh, life with evidence, receipts to prove it. So it's, it's, it's amazing. The whole entire experience is transformative and uh, enlightening. And then you find out that as an American citizen, mm. you are signing on to all the sufferings that you're seeing happening there. When I talk about the love and the capacity for you know, humanity, but there's also huge suffering babies not being able to get medicines because of the blockade that... Although the medical schools in Cuba the best, are none. Absolutely. Best doctors. And they also have a program that I must mention. You guys look it up. It's called the ELAM, where they take students, um, college students from here, you can apply. It's a very competitive um, application process. And if you're accepted, you can um, be trained to be a doctor in whatever... Um, field of study, all they ask is that you come back to your respective community and give back to your community. But if you, if you train there and you're licensed there, how does it translate to coming back to America? Do they recognize the license of they, the doctors? They, there's a, an agreement mm -hmm. that is recognized with the U.S. Is that so? Yes. Well, 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 there go those student loans. How about that? Um, so when is the next time you're going? 
Uh, we're leaving December 8th. Mm -hmm. This uh, particular delegation is already locked in and sewed up, mm -hmm. and so you, you can't um, get on to this delegation. But once I return, we'll have the dates for the next delegation, which will probably be in December. I'm not sure if it'll be on the 8th, but it will be... Um, you mean after December 8th? Well, next year, December oh, next 8th. next year, December yeah, 8th. Yeah, I'll try oh, to keep it consistent. Yeah, 2024. I'll okay. try to keep it consistent. Because I do December now because it's not so hot. Mm. Other months, yeah, it's really hot. So a woman from Jamaica is saying it's hot. It must oh, be. Oh, it's extremely hot. Yes, yes. Mm. Oh, I like the heat. So now, what usually happens? Is the trip 10 days or how long is the... Yes, it's 10 days. Um, we'll arrive at in Havana uh, on the 8th. We'll be picked up by uh, one of the buses from the CMLK Center. That's the Martin Luther King Jr. Center there. And um, once we arrive, we'll get sorted out and our rooms get um, situated. So you're living with families or... No, we stay at the center where um, it's like a dorm room setting. Oh, okay. Where we each have our own rooms, and there's a cafeteria downstairs where breakfast, lunch, and dinner served. Um, and there are some wonderful cooks cooking mm. homemade deliciousness every morning, every afternoon, and every evening. We get homemade cooked fresh food every day. Fresh squeezed Guava juice, papaya juice, you pineapple know, juice. Stop. You know. <laughs> Fresh squeeze, not from the can or the bottle. So what do you have to do in terms of shots and stuff like that? Or uh, do you have vaccinations or anything that you have to do? No, in? no. Um, we just require that you have a visa. And um, during COVID, you'd have to have your COVID vaccination, of course, mm -hmm. and have that with you. But I've not heard anything about the COVID since um, mm -hmm that period has passed, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, there's a visa fee that you have to pay, and of course have a up-to-date passport. And then, uh, what kind of money is being exchanged? Like, because I know when you go to foreign countries, you usually have to exchange the money to be able to? Yes, so the um, CMLK Center provides um, one of their um, liaisons mm -hmm. to um, transfer monies on, on your behalf. Can you do it before you get there? Not, no. Mm -mm. No. Interesting. No. Because no. most places you can do it through. The, I know when my daughter traveled, um, depending on, we, we would look for a certain bank that had branches mm -hmm. in that area, and you could transfer it, and it was cheaper to tr not try to transfer in the airport to transfer beforehand. Right. Like Jamaica, you could do that, but because of the sanctions and the, embar the blockade. With Cuba. With Cuba, you can no longer do that. I, I'm not sure. So how do you get there? I when, mean, well, when Obama was in, you could have a straight flight from Boston to Havana. Really? Yes, and I'm not loving it because no longer can you fly straight. Yes, you have to go connecting through some other airport and then fly to Havana. Wow. Yes, and I think that's just the United States. Now. Yeah, Because now. it's a different administration. Because the Biden administration has not rolled back the, um, to the Obama era Really? Um, provisions. And he was part of that administration. Yes, and I'm, again, so uh, we have a um, congressman here, Jim McGovern, love him. He and several others, I don't have the exact language, but they're um, uh, petitioning our governmental bodies, all of our elected officials, to sign on to a letter to say, take Cuba off of the um, terrorist list. The terrorist Terrorists, list. yes. Huh. And once you're on that list, there's certain things, you know, that you're barred from on top of the blockade. Economic. Economic. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So, um, so okay, so we can't go this year, but you can actually sign up on your website. Yes. And be in the newsletter and find out more information. Yes. For next year. Yes. 2024. 2024. And, and um, so what are you doing now? What's coming up now? We're about to go into, like, we're in fall, winter, kind of, like, sort of slipped. Like, and now it's getting cold. Yeah, so, so what's happening now? We're taking uh, a hiatus mm -hmm. since we've done with the Frederick Douglass series. It just wrapped up the recruitment for the Cuba delegation. And so we're talking about structural things and also petitioning uh, Senator Liz Miranda mm -hmm. and uh, Representative Rob Consalvo to make nature prescriptive. Again, we talked about this the last time I was here and that would enable the doctors to write a prescription um, as an alternative 
to what does the that pill. look like? So instead of giving you like some drug, they're giving you fruits and berries. I mean, I'm being facetious. Well, yes, yes. Like herbs and stuff like yes, that. Yes, And it yes. gets covered by the insurance company. This is why oh. we, we need for the, the legislative body to be involved in this. Yes. And so where is that in the legislation process? Is it in committee? Is it just being so written? I've, or? I've asked um, Liz and Rob, Robert Consalvo has agreed to um, try to introduce it for uh, discussion and research, and uh, that's where we're at right now. So, what can people do? Should they people call his can office? Call, and absolutely, and say both we, of them. yes, both of them, and every one of your legislative um, persons and representatives, actually, so that we can get this done. Canada has done it, Japan has done it since 1982. It's called forest bathing there, and so Canada, where it's called what forest, forest bathing. Shrinkoru. Okay, wait, wait. Is the Japanese Go back to that. What does that mean? Forest bathing. It means just um, being one with nature. Yeah, just going into deep woods. So you jumping in the woods, or what are you jumping in the water? What are you doing? You're whether it be the woods, it could be a body of water. It's just mostly you have to be surrounded, enveloped in nature. Oh, so it's not like bathing. going to Franklin Park and yelling. That's not you the know. forest. No, no. So the closest thing that we have here are the Blue Hills. That's where I started my nature walks. And precisely because we're enclosed in the woods there. And so that's the kind of perfect place for that to happen. And there's legislation for that? So, so along with that must be preserving green spaces. Absolutely, goes hand in hand. And this is why I work with David Marshallone from Speak for the Trees. I'm on the board for the Boston Climate Action Network. I'm hoping you'll join me there. No, you're trying to get me on there. I'm yes. Trying to, I'm trying to not yes, be involved because, in anything listen, else. Yes, because they are enacting legislation and policies surrounding the Boston public schools. And no one like, I don't, know, I don't know any other person in Boston who is more dedicated to our children and love our children more than you do, I Sharon. Do. There's a group of us, trust me. Well, I would, well, I would need to, I would need to con be connected with you guys because I say this uh, as a board member. There's no way that we, who don't have children in certain communities, right, or live in certain communities, should be concocting legislation and policy for mm -hmm. other folks. That's as you know, and we're running out of time because we always do. And we get these great conversations, right? Um, there, there are schools that actually have gardens. Yes. But it's not consistent. Exactly. Orchard Park has one I visited. There is, it's mostly elementary schools. Yes. Once they get higher up, then they're forced to really think about MCAS, and that, that's that whole piece right there, legislation with the MCAS, right? And then there are teachers that, um, well, so let me go back. I remember um, having plants and having fish tanks in your classroom. Yes. An elementary classroom. Yes. Right, and, it, it, and, and chickens, trying to mm -hmm. hatch chickens in and your classroom. And taking home your little pea tree or your little spinach or whatever you were growing. Right, so that was incorporated in the school curriculum and then there were policy, policy shifts so that all of a sudden there was no more shop and no more home economics Drafting, in elementary school. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden it's like everybody's gonna go to college and then there's this ridiculous debt ceiling that you can't get rid of. But I see, you know, across the country. And I see um, shift. this shift because people understand if you don't eat right, you'll be dead. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of college degrees, you'll, you know, you'll be dead. One of the most educated people in the cemetery. And so, but we're also living longer. And so you want to be healthy while you're living Absolutely. longer. Absolutely. You don't want to be diminished. In any way. In any way. Although I'm seeing it happen because the communities of color we always get the worst land yes. that was contaminated, the brown fields, uh -huh. right? And for those people that don't know the brown fields, brown fields are places where contamination was in the ground. Either there was industry or whatever, and it went in the ground. So you thought you were being all organic and growing this tree, and it's sucking up the poisons, and you're breathing in the poisons. Um, around near um, the Dorchester, well, around near the, the train tracks, mm -hmm. anywhere near the train tracks. Any train track. Any train track. Mm -hmm between what was traveling on the train track yep. and what was happening around the train track. Yep. And so, you know, even now there are places, and you may not know what it is, but right in Nubian Square, there is, a, there is it's still there, um, a monitor of air quality. But then there's also uh, a lab 
um, a level four lab, bio lab, that Mayor Marty Walsh, after 12 years of activists fighting against it, yeah. there's this lab that was funded, heavily funded, that is right, that's got all these, they're making up diseases. Dangerous level. Level four. They're making up diseases with the philosophy of, well, if we don't do it, one of our enemies would do it, so we should do it so that we can find out how to get rid of it. And it's right near a highly populated area, right near the expressway. If you ever wanted anything to spread something, it's right near the expressway. It's right near um, schools. It's right near hospitals. It's right city. near. They don't care. But we should. Absolutely. So as a parent, what can you do? Elementary steps, we've got five minutes, three minutes. What can you do to start breaking that cycle because there are deserts, food deserts, in the black community well, the, that the, don't provide the, the fruits and vegetables. The best thing I can say is what my mentor said to me just before coming on. Get together with like-minded parents in the community and things will start changing. Mm. You can't do it alone. Once you have, and again, Bernie Sanders said this when he was running for president, that we didn't pay attention. You've got to know your neighbors, one, yes, because you have the same mission, right? Hopefully. Well, you should. You're breathing the same air. You cannot segregate the air, people. But right now, I mean, you grew up in a community where people knew each other and they talked to each other. I did, yes. too. Yes. Right now, people are barely talking to each other on the bus So the then we can change that by saying, good morning, Miss Sharon, and if you don't know your name, hi, my name is Judith. I live, you know, two blocks over, five houses down. You know, we're all breathing the same air. And it's not good air, it's polluted, right? I don't care where you live in Boston, the air is not, not clean. So we ought to be doing collective and you said action. Plant more trees. Plant more trees is the first and, and easiest thing that we can all Read do. Read the labels of your food. Read the labels of your food. Try to be more organic. More organic. And so if you're if you're the thing that you're buying has let more than like five ingredients to it, don't buy it, right? So the first thing is butter. I'll use that. If it doesn't have cream, just milk on cream and salt, and that's it. It shouldn't have the whole list of other things that you can't pronounce. What is it doing that to you your can't body? That you can't spell. And I can spell your name, J-U-D-I-T-H-F-O-S-T-E-R. Yes, ma'am. Pretty basic and simple. Um, she is the founder of the Hero. It should be Shiro. But Hero Nurturing Center here in Boston. And my amazing guest for the second time. Got to have her back. Got to have you back. Thank you for being here. One last word to our, to our listeners. They can sign up on your website. Your website is? HeroNurturingCenter.com. And I'm on Facebook as well. And you guys have been the bomb.com here this evening. I told you we didn't really have time, even though we're live, to take phone calls. Thank you. Take care of yourself and each other. God bless you. See you next time.